and we back and we back and we back and we back i wasn't i wasn't talking about eminem i was more talking about chance the rapper but okay (laughs) tell (laughs) the friend (laughs) ready to go yes Welcome back after our long break to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And today we are starting Royal Assassin. Woo! I know. Very excited about it. Oh yeah. Uh, Of course, kicking things off is the prologue. This is called Dreams and Awakenings. So the beginning part here starts off with Fitz's writing. Mm -hmm. Old Fitz writing. Tom Badgerlock writing. (laughs) And he's talking about the different kinds of magics and it almost seems like it would be a foreword in a book about the different kinds of magics yeah because he's like introspective about should i write this knowledge down like i know these kinds of things um he asks himself why he's writing that down and honestly i don't know why those particular paragraphs were written down by him I think it just goes to show that she's not going to answer any questions about uh, the magics and how they work. Uh, that's fair. That's Robin Hobb being the she. <laughs> <laughs> um, because what we gather from this little writing excerpt is that Fitz doesn't really know very much either. Right. So <laughs> it's unfortunate. But this whole this whole chapter here is very introspective and a lot of it covers the ground that we've already gone over which we'll get into a bit later but with this blurb in particular there's a couple things that we've talked about before but we get a little bit more of Fitz's thoughts on you know what it means to write down knowledge in general not just about magic but yeah in general um he kind of talks about how typically uh it's an apprenticeship sort of situation where there's a master and he chooses somebody who is worthy to get the knowledge that they have you know uh, learned over the years Uh and passes that knowledge down to that apprentice and that's how this knowledge is preserved right whether it's a trade or magic or whatever Mm -hmm. you have to be judged worthy first yep and then you learn that Mm -hmm. and it's the same way with magic except magic is inborn as well Uh uh-huh you are born with that ability, so it's, um, I don't know, it, it's a different situation, and Fitz is really thinking about how that affects that apprenticeship, and if it's okay for him to write down things, So because everybody right. should be able to know this. Right. If they were born with it, mm-hmm. that is. Well, he also makes the argument that um, because it's something you're born with, it's not necessarily something you need to be taught how to use. I right. mean, for the more intricate things, definitely. But if you have it, you're probably going to naturally use it. And that could be more disastrous than just telling people how to correctly use it. Kind right. of is right. what it feels like he's um, musing about. Definitely. And so he goes through the different kinds of magics and like, yeah, the skill, you can do this kinds of things with it. The wit can do these kinds of things and it's reviled. <laughs> Um, he says he suspects it was once the natural magic of those who lived on the land as hunters rather than as settled folk. 
Mm-hmm. So like nomads on the lands and people probably who turned into the mountain folk. Yeah. In general. Um, and then it goes into hedge magics as like a third kind of magic, which is like a combination of a bunch of different things. Some of them are verified and some of them are still suspect and all of which fake. predict the future. Yep. So this grouping of magic is more about future. Water gazing can be uh, current as well. That's true. It can also yeah. be just like straight up scrying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general. Um, but also, I mean, Jinna is, it's not all about predicting the future because yeah. Jinna is a hedge uh, witch and she just does like beads. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, more of like, this is in the vein of like future telling. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, warding off a future evil, is that not somewhat predicting the future? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, but. <laughs> she does read poems too in there, yeah. but um and then there's a separate unnamed category that are the magics that cause physical effects, such as invisibility, levitation, giving motion or life to inanimate objects. All the magics of the old legends, from the flying chair of the widow's son to the north wind's magic tablecloth. Um, he doesn't know anybody who claims those magics as themselves. Uh, they seem to be pretty much just legends, mythical, you know, folk tales and things like that. Right. And... Um, they're ascribed to people living in those ancient times or distant places, and also beings of mythical or near-mythical reputation. Dragons, giants, the elderlings, the others, and pexies. Mm-hmm. So, this magic in particular seems pretty fake. Like, mm-hmm. to me, it's just, like, magic as we perceive it as well. Right. Or even just, like, people visiting elderling towns and not understanding right. The- science (laughs) behind yeah that's another point i wanted to like mention is because Mm -hmm. he's talking about like can i write this stuff down a little bit later in this he's thinking to himself instead of writing now he's like can i write this stuff down knowledge might not get passed down and then therefore we might lose that knowledge Mm -hmm. and that's exactly like what happened with the skill and i'm guessing that's why the elderlings and dragons get ascribed to these mystical these powers. mystical powers, yeah. Because mm-hmm. they just don't understand the skill and it's not really studied or right. the knowledge isn't distributed. Mm-hmm. Well, and also with dragons, I feel like they could definitely um, make you think you saw them turn invisible or something, you know, like they could make you believe that there were powers such as those. Also, um, they don't really talk about dragons ever. This might yeah. be our first mention of dragons. Yeah, that's true. They're always, always the elderlings. Uh-huh. And then this one is mentioned in a mythical or near mythical reputation. So I'm guessing dragons and giants and stuff are in like folk tales. Mm, right. But the elderlings were once a real people. Ah, interesting take. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like because dragons and giants are not capitalized, the elderlings and the others are capitalized. Yeah. We don't know of any giants or pexies. That's true. I mean, they tell the tales of, like, the skill stones that their pexies are there to draw people in and whatever, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, but that, again, could be ascribed to not knowing enough about the skill stone. Right, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So then, uh, like we said, it kind of just transitions from there to Fitz cleaning his pen, just thinking about why am I... Why am I writing this down? Yeah. Like, what, and also, this doing? is a rough draft. So. 
Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's bad paper. He's not sure if, like, uh-huh. it, it's not worthy of good paper yet. Yeah. He doesn't even know if he wants to keep all this. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that he uses bad papers for um, potential rough drafts. And then... <laughs> He's not very thoughtful about a lot of things, but he's very thoughtful about good paper and yeah. ink and stuff. And it kind of comes from Verity and Patience mm-hmm. and Chade, like, <laughs> and Fedrin, I guess. Yeah. Like those four people, like, really, really like their pens and their papers. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, but he's also, like I mentioned before, contemplating how knowledge gets lost or deteriorated mm-hmm. through you know passing down or forgetting to pass down something yeah. it says what we take for granted now the knowing of these things may be a wonder and a mystery someday to our descendants oh imagine that elderling <laughs> magic <laughs> <laughs> there's very little of, in any of the libraries on magic which i mean makes sense the wit was probably erased Mm -hmm. and the skill was gathered up by the skill masters and then secreted away by galen (laughs) and sold off to the outlanders yeah i don't know if there would be anything written about wit wit feels like a very oral tradition sort of thing it does to me too but if there was i feel like it would have gotten erased around you know the piebald prince era (laughs) yeah that's fair (laughs) um all right so we, we've gone through his feelings before on the other, you know, uh, blurbs of him writing as Tom Badgerlock, the epilogue and the prologue of the last book. But once again, he's just talking about, like, why am I writing this stuff down? Who am I to do this mm-hmm. and steer from tradition? People have been doing this for a while. I shouldn't be the one to write it down. and give this knowledge to everybody if it's been this way forever i really like this part um this intro just because i think it gives us a really clear glimpse of what fitz's internal struggle is yeah Um, i think it's a really good example of this like it's a very necessary thing and obviously would help a lot of people oh yeah um maybe there are some negative side effects but aren't those worth it if you're generally helping people at large um and then he goes to the well maybe i'm not worthy and so i'm not worthy to do the right thing and i think that's just a very interesting dynamic that he has going on in his head of i want to do the right thing but i don't think i'm i deserve to be the right person to do this thing no self-confidence or Mm self-esteem i mean he got rid of a lot of his memories at this point still like he hasn't gotten them back right that's at the end of the next fitz trilogy so in Mm -hmm. you know like eight books from now (laughs) yeah i think i i don't know i just feel like this is interesting because reading this for whatever reason this prologue um is the most open i felt with fitz's feelings and what like him as an author um all of last but i mean we we're in his head always so we're always kind of privy to his knowledge but i feel like in this we're more seeing him as a person and not him as a narrator and i feel like that's very rare just because he's telling a story and in this instance we're not necessarily gaining any story we're just focusing on fits and yeah. i really appreciate how that's done i'm wondering like it kind of brings up this point that i was going to make a little bit later but it fits mm-hmm. in anywhere in this chapter if 
this chapter was required by the publisher mm. for Robin Hobb to like right. complete it because a lot of it is just recapping what happened last book. There's yeah. a couple awkward phrases that Birik says that he wouldn't like say normally. Yeah. That don't fit his character that just like reiterate some of the plot that happened. It's True. for people to pick up this book and to sell more if they hadn't read the first one, which mm-hmm. is a sidebar. I don't understand people who do that. <laughs> right. Just read it from the beginning. Especially when you're in like later series where it's like, here's everything that's happened. At book one through 15. It's like, yep. OK, why are you picking up book 16? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it, I'm wondering if she got a more clear picture of who Fitz turns into Mm. after she wrote the last book and this book and then had to go back and write the prologue and include some of these thoughts in there. Yeah. I'm wondering like if she got more of a of an idea of who he was and what he was feeling and could more accurately write down a yeah. look into that character. I guess we we don't really know how she writes if she does it chronologically or jumps mm-hmm. around in scenes, but Yeah. I don't know. Because it is, it is very clear and it is different. Yeah, than, it's noticeably different. Yeah. Like you said, a little bit more yeah. open. That's, mm-hmm. a good, that's a good way to describe it. I kind of wish that all of our interactions with Fitz were this way, but it's all right. Keeps the mystery alive, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So one thing in particular that he is talking about here is not only... Is he worthy to write down the skill and the wit and how you train things and the specifics of what you do? But does he have any right whatsoever to ferret out the knowledge of the hedge magics and write that down? He he can't do any of those. He doesn't know anything. Is it even morally correct for him to display all of the secrets of the hedge witches and all of their tradition out for everybody Mm -hmm. i I don't know yeah and is it okay for him to share secrets of um the other magics where he's not even fully trained he can only give what he knows yeah exactly um like he doesn't know all the skill and stuff can he give the basics maybe sure (laughs) yeah a little bit i don't know i think yeah i think it's a, a very interesting question and Definitely an authory question of like, what kind of stories am I allowed to tell as the person I am? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in this case with hedge magics, it is harder because he doesn't know very much about it and he can do research and meet hedge witches and find out what they do. But it, but like he said, is it, it's not really his story to tell then, um, and it does, it is this like weird moral gray area because while I'm like, yes, write about the skill and the wit, tell us right now everything you know, um, I do hesitate with the hedge magic because he's right. He doesn't know. And what if what he writes down is completely wrong because it's through his secondhand knowledge off of what he sees others doing? Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. An interesting question that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever figures out for himself because he no. never really continues to write. He just keeps writing it and then burning it and then uh-huh. writing it and storing yeah. some. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, from this, just wondering of what right do I have, um, he stops to ponder, um, what would it mean if someone bad got 
this information? Right. Like, what would it actually give them? Um, and he thinks about it and thinks about how he hasn't gained anything great from knowing these not like knowing what he knows. Um, so it's not necessarily fair to say that a bad person, the only way they would be bad is if they got hold of this to learn the skills. Right. I think that's a very interesting commentary of like bad people aren't going to stop at like reading this and becoming like they just are going to do whatever it takes to get, you know, to become. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. Power, wealth, the love of a woman. I mock myself. Neither the skill nor the wit has ever offered any such to me. Or if they did, I had not the sense nor ambition to seize them when offered. And he talks about all three of those. Um, first off, power. And he's like, uh, yeah, I want it sometimes when I've been like, beaten down and almost dead and everything like that but i've never really had it or wanted it for its own sake to like wield it over other people Mm -hmm. just to help those who need my loved ones who needed help yeah wealth and he never really needed it because that's his privilege speaking his king shrewd took care of everything for him basically he's never had to think about it before so obviously magic didn't bring that it's just the privilege of his birth Mm mm-hmm or the, you know, disadvantage of his birth. <laughs> Depending on who, who yeah. asks. Um, I want to point out in, in this section is, I had plenty to eat, more education than I sometimes cared for, clothes both simple and those annoyingly fashionable, <laughs> and often enough coin or two of my own to spend. Another little <laughs> glimpse into his hate of clothes. Fashion is stupid. Yep. Um. <laughs> uh, and then he goes into love, which this is, it's kind of painful to read. Yeah. Because he's so self-loathing mm-hmm. and can't imagine anybody caring for him that much. Well, he starts with animals. We're talking about love. And instead of talking about all the people in his life who have loved him or who he loves, he starts with animals, which I thought was a... He only talks about animals. <laughs> I mean, he does talk about people following this, but not in the context. Like, he's... It's almost as though he realizes, well, I guess technically people love me, but I don't think they really love me. So let me talk about the people and why they don't actually love me. <laughs> yeah, it's his horse, Sooty, uh, Nosy, and Smithy. And those are the only ones who he writes down or thinks about that have loved him. And they all paid prices, basically. And then he goes on to say, like, and always I've been super lonely. The isolation of a boy who cannot trust the completeness of his heart to anyone. Yeah. And then he talks about people and being alone in adjacent to that. Yeah. It's it's so interesting. He never really associates love with people, just Mm -hmm. with the animals that he's been around. I I again think this points to his inability to trust um, in other people if they don't fully give themselves to him the way a dog would give themselves to a master. Yeah. And I think that's why he doesn't fully trust. He can tell that animals have a bond with him. He can tell that Sooty cares about him and he doesn't have to second guess that because animal minds are simpler than humans. And so there's no like 
conflicting feelings and uh, situations that make it harder or easier to love someone. And I just I think that's really interesting that he craves the simplicity of animal to know he's loved. The last sentence in that is, man, um, is really crazy. It says, I winced to think of the price willingly paid for loving me. Because he's talking about Nosy and Smithy both dying for loving yeah. him. And, yeah. and that, like, that thought kind of runs through a lot of things. It's through this trilogy. It's through, you know, Tawny Man trilogy. It's all like, if you love me, you're going to suffer because I'm not worthy of that. Yeah. And that's like such an interesting thing because he is willing to suffer for those that he loves. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fool, he willingly puts himself in death on death's door time and again. Yeah. For Verity, for shrewd. Yeah. He, like he just continuously puts himself in danger and he doesn't just it's so sad that he doesn't think that he is also deserving of people who will do that for him. Yeah. And it's almost as though he doesn't want them to have to. Yeah. Like in some way he doesn't want to do it. And so he's not going to make other people do it. And I don't know. I think I think it's sad and also a little bit of a flaw to oh, little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because I mean, that's other people's decision to make, not his. Right. And yeah, he exactly. continuously pulls away and makes the decision for them. And he has a big problem with making other people's choices for them. <laughs> uh, and then. It goes through, like we said, talking about how he's lonely and he can't really confide in any of the people in his life. Fedrin, he couldn't talk about Chade and like how he was an assassin. Chade, mm-hmm. he couldn't talk about the skill with. And like all of these people never really had all of his life ever. Mm-hmm. And it goes on with not even to Molly. Like he couldn't even speak of anything of his whole life to Molly. And then it goes on to be kind of gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Molly was that most cherished of items, a genuine refuge. She had absolutely nothing to do with my day-to-day life. There's some cute parts in like the next, you know, like couple pages, yeah. but it starts out with like, yeah, she's she's an object to me. Yeah. And I have to put her on a pedestal and keep her pristine because she yeah. is pristine uh, yeah and, and I, perfect oh i i really did not like that at all <laughs> he's at the point that he gives up his negative feelings which is mostly about like losing molly and the good parts mm-hmm. about molly as well he is 19 and fresh off like i lost her to Birik, yeah. my dad so which also is pretty rough which yeah which is also like terrible Thanks, dad um i like we'll get there but, yeah um, so like i can understand he's stuck in that in that same mindset he was when he had those good days with her in right. the upcoming time so like it's still that teenage thought of like oh my god girls are like a step above me. I'm not mm. worthy of this. And <laughs> right. The stupid thought that they're not people. Right. <laughs> well, so. yeah. And he does talk about how he was raised with mostly men. Yeah. Yeah. And how that definitely affects how he sees Molly. And he admits that like, that is part of why he views Molly the way he does. Mm-hmm. Um, Which and, like, like I said, there's yeah. some good parts in yeah, here. Like 
He has the self-reflection of like an older, more mature adult. Mm -hmm. But then like his mindset is still stuck at certain parts of him, like Uh based on where he got rid of his memories and like his pain right into the stone dragon his mindset is stuck at that and it can't mature or grow past those points yeah it just stunted him yeah no and it's definitely i don't know it's yeah it's it's a weird weird beginning to this section yeah and i mean i do think that this like does kind of speak to their relationship of I liked her because I didn't have to be me around her. Yeah. And I think that's how their relationship kind of always is. And while I like Molly as a character and I like their love arc, um, I do recognize that it's not like the best relationship (laughs) and that it's a little unhealthy because I don't necessarily know that he ever grows out of. I don't have to be fits the bastard around her. I can just be new boy. Right. And like, or Tom Badgerlock. Or Tom Badgerlock, yeah. Whereas I feel as though he should, it, when you love someone, you should be able to give them all parts of you. Right. Um, And they should love all parts of you, even the bad ones. Even, I mean, you don't have to approve of every bad thing that your significant other has ever done. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you can still like know about that and accept them and accept that as part of them. Right. And I feel like Molly never gets the chance to do that because Fitz never trusts her with all of him to do that with. And he thinks he does. He just locks it away. Right. He just is like, oh, it's no longer part of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's also a flaw. It's not like He's not self-aware. I mean, we're getting past these books, right. but he's not self-aware enough to be like, oh, I'm actually just not going to like mention it. I'll just ignore it. Like she doesn't need mm-hmm. to be in that part of life. He's like, oh, I'm done with that part of my life. Right. And it never needs to be brought up again. Right. Which is stupid because his daughter is the skill mistress. And uh-huh. like, <laughs> yep. yeah, I no. don't know. And I mean, like, that's why I always feel for Molly whenever she gets mad at him for not being who he said she was. Or he was because like in this book. Yes. Like he's telling her this is who I am and not giving her any clue of any other part of him. And so, of course, when you've fallen in love with this person and then finding out, oh, by the way, here's like another aspect of my life. And that consistently happens throughout all of your relationship. Like there here's another thing that I didn't bring up even when I was called out for keeping things from you. Um so uh, sorry it won't happen again until you find out another secret part of my life where i have to explain and then i'm gonna yeah keep hiding the rest from you like i don't know not a great relationship but i still like it (laughs) (laughs) it's fictional it doesn't (laughs) love at first sight you know yeah um so he goes into talking about molly and how he he could confide in her i guess but she was apart from everything so he didn't want to do to sully anything about that Mm -hmm. he uh talks about how she grew up and how they met because they have to recap the previous book right uh but also talks about her father and her relationship with her father and he makes a comment here uh, despite his cruelty she cared for him i never understood that which kind of blows my mind but also i can kind of understand because he doesn't recognize it in himself Mm -hmm. like it just 
thinking of Galen, for example. Right. Like, he did not like Galen. He was getting emotionally and physically abused. But he still wanted to prove that he was good to Galen. He still wanted to, like, hey, I can do this. Yeah. I don't understand how he can't recognize that. Or even shrewd shrewd sent him to be killed yeah and he still went through with the plan like he still is a kingsman and still calls himself yeah, a kingsman I, and although like, he did like kind of switch in his brain like right. when i say my king i think of Faraday now and right but he's still <laughs> serving the kingdom and like he I, was raised for that though like okay i understand for this example i just want to defend right. this decision is because he was raised by biric and like chade <laughs> and they're like Stick to your oaths. Right. Be but, loyal. <laughs> see, this is the same thing, though. It this is, is, yeah. This is the exact yeah. same thing of the, there are people being cruel to him, and that doesn't, and yet he cares about them, and he cares about the kingdom, right. regardless of how cruel he's being treated. And it's the exact same thing that he doesn't understand, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they both suffered terrible emotional and physical abuse, and like... I I feel like he should be able to sympathize with that or even like understand it on some level. Yeah, I don't know if he just doesn't understand it cuz he feels like his whole family abandoned him mm-hmm. and he can't grasp that he can have those attachments without it being family. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if he understands like since he harbors so much hate and resentment to his family for like yeah, walking away from him. Yeah. Why doesn't she have that same anger and hatred toward her father and just walk away? Yeah. Which maybe she does, Fitz. Yeah. Maybe. You've never asked her about it. Also, <laughs> she's like, then she would be alone uh-huh. in Buckkeep at what, like 14, 15? Uh-huh. And she's a woman. So yeah. life's a little bit different, Fitz. Maybe think about that. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, and he continues on talking about. Uh, Molly and how that is magic to him mm-hmm. how he loved her how like nothing could compare to like the brush of her hand against his hand or yeah. you know being around her and through all of that Molly was growing up and how he witnessed her beauty grow and stuff and should I catalog that too because that's magic like should I write that down along with the magic stuff but no one else can compare to that or repeat that so yeah it I don't know and he talks about trying to court her but not even knowing he loved her but she knew he loved her before him and this whole like awkward dance that they had and it's it's kind of cute, but at the same time, like, you know his mindset. Yeah. And it's really sad. Yeah, yeah. He recounts how she thought I was the scribe's errand boy, a part-time helper in the stables, a keep runner. She never suspected I was the bastard, the unacknowledged son that had toppled Prince Chivalry from his place in the line of succession. That alone was a big enough secret. Of my magics and my other profession, she knew nothing. Maybe that was why I could love her. It was certainly why I lost her. And he said that, you know, surrounded by all of these secrets and all of these different things, it never occurred to him that he could turn to Molly for a measure of the hope and understanding that eluded him everywhere else. Yeah. She was apart, unsullied, so he wanted to keep her that way. 
But like he's looking for this person to connect to. Yeah. He's loving Molly. Confide in her. This is this is like Yeah. How relationships work. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't have any examples of healthy relationships. He has no like, knowledge of I mean, he couldn't confide in Burek. And no. that's not like a romantic relationship, but I feel like we learn how to be in a relationship from our parentage. Yeah. Like what how your parents raise you helps how you address conflicts later in life and because socialization yeah like you just socialized and, and Fitz was alone mm-hmm. and a Burek just ignored problems and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or yelled about it until it got stopped got getting talked about and Chade lived in the walls so like how much of a help is he gonna be <laughs> um and he just asks more questions and reassures. Because, you know, sometimes when you're complaining, you just want somebody to listen, nod, and go, yes, you're right. Not go, <laughs> well, what about this situation? Like Chade would do. So <laughs> so it's not necessarily all of his fault, but right, not great. <laughs> he recounts how a lot of the plot of the last time, how he, from his skill training, was... Um, in a depression and and magically forced depression basically but just expounded on his underlying issues and how he never went to visit molly for a long time and then he saw her with with jade which we know is her cousin Mm -hmm. um how she never came back to the channel because we know that she lost it to debtors because her father died see that okay just side note this is like an interesting thing because this is older Fitz talking about this, so he would know who that was. So it's like kind of a weird suspension we have to do where we have to acknowledge that, yes, technically Fitz knows who Jade is. Technically, um, there like has been some changes and all these things, but we have to like suspend that knowledge. Because he's like thinking in the past. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He's thinking about how it was last book. Yeah. <laughs> Through his mind's eye of last book. And uh, it goes through like pretty much the whole plot in the next couple chapter, couple paragraphs, excuse me. And then um, it finishes up where he's lingering in the Mountain Kingdom trying to recover from the whole ordeal there. Yeah. I just want to point out that it's really interesting that in this whole situation, one way that he sums it up is that he was the pawn Regal would sacrifice for this goal of becoming king and i was the pawn who instead toppled the game piece around him bringing his wrath and vengeance down on myself and i think that's a really good way to sum up (laughs) everything that happened and it's interesting that he sees himself as this chess piece Um, also they play chess i guess i guess they don't know Unless, like, pawn is, like, a medieval term for, like... I mean, pawn can just be, like, you're a pawn in my game, like, uh... But isn't that derived from pawn and chess? You know, I'm not sure if it is actually derived from that or because, if it became... Like, yeah, that's why, like, maybe it's a medieval word for, like, Aaron boy. <laughs> Probably not. But, yeah, it would be interesting. It is derived from Latin for foot, and then medieval Latin for foot soldier, Hmm. and then, yeah, so I'm guessing it's just pawn. So it doesn't have to necessarily be about chess. Yeah, I don't think so. Or I have another source that says it comes from the Latin word for pledge. 
So I have no idea. Maybe like a foot soldier pledge to you. Yeah. It's just like a, a grunt soldier to mm -hmm. do your work. Somebody that is okay, you're okay with killing. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't an errant chess reference. Or maybe it was and it just is lucky that <laughs> it also <laughs> means foot soldier. <laughs> so Fitz is... Um, recovering in the mountain kingdom where we left off with him in chapter 24 of last book the last chapter yeah. and it goes into a little bit more detail it kind of cuts into the middle of that chapter because we got a little bit of him you know going back to Buckkeep mm -hmm. at the end of the last book yeah um and this is all of it is in the mountain kingdom right this whole chapter and it's also um, kind of expanding some of the things that we heard about la or in yeah. the l final chapter of last book. They were talking about how Fitz told Burek about Molly, and now it gives us the context of the conversation and what happened before that, um, mm -hmm. which I think was a very clever tool to use of like, hey, I barely gave any information about this long chunk of time here, let me just plop in and use something that they'll recognize right, yeah. to um, expand what they're missing. Yeah, Robin Hobb did a great job. If this was required, she did a great job of integrating it into the whole story. Yeah, um, definitely. If it wasn't, it's a fantastic way to, one, catch people up and remind them of what happened in the first one without having to reread through everything. Mm -hmm. And two, if you have just read it, it gives you context yeah. To what you just read, which is awesome. Like, she did a great job with that. Um, so they are about to pack up and move on because, I mean, it's going to snow soon. The passes are going to get mm -hmm. blocked. They're going to get trapped in the Mountain Kingdom. They have to leave, even though Fitz is still a little shaky. Yeah. He's doing okay. Yeah, he, he thinks guesses. he's doing... Yeah. He's fine, which is a lot of denial. So he's... Not oh, yeah. very far along in the grief stages, um, but... <laughs> At least about his body and, yeah. like, his health. Yeah. It's so sad to read this, too, because it really talks about, like, the sense of loss yeah. Fitz is going through. How bitter he is about mm -hmm. the situation, which is completely understandable. Right. Well, especially because he's... The reason that he lost this isn't even for a cause that he wanted or be necessarily believes in. It was him trying to do the right thing and just like a side effect of that. And like, oh, that would be so hard, especially when you're so young and it's like harder to get through grief. <laughs> and it's there's like less context to the world. So it, everything feels like the end of your life. But this truly could be the end of his life as he knows it and that's really sad true and yeah he's he's getting on and getting dressed um like clothes that were given to him in the mountain kingdom mm -hmm. um it's green pants and a red shirt and some like soft boots and stuff like that and he looks yeah. in the mirror and says um not even king shrewd's fool dressed as gaily as this um, and then, uh, by the way, I'm going to bring that up next episode. So yeah, okay. um, <laughs> hold on to that. <laughs> hold on to that thought for a week. 
Um, and he's reflecting on what he looks like and how his illness has really taken its toll on him. And he kind of sits down for food for breakfast before they're leaving. And he has another seizure and he wakes up in bed. He completely blacks out, passes out. And he's, he remarks that both his body and his mind were, were his to command once more. He just kind of is shunted out of his mind and like yeah. can't control himself. And he's, he's feeling that loss. Mm-hmm. But even though they're his to control, he doesn't want them anymore. I could no longer trust my body to perform the simplest task. It was damaged and I rejected it fiercely. I felt savagely vindictive toward the flesh and bone that enclosed me and wished for some way to express my raging disappointment. Why couldn't I heal? Why hadn't I recovered? And Jean-Cui is there, who was healing them, the whole, both both Biric and Fitz, right. healing them the whole time. And she's like, it's going to take time. And Fitz is just like, no, it won't. Like, this is, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I'm never going to be the same. Which is a little dramatic of him. But I understand why it feels that way. And he says something interesting here, which I don't know if he would have said if he wasn't feeling, like if he didn't have the seizures and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to live like an old man, which is understandable. And jean Quis like, sooner or later you'll have to. My brother and I are old, King Ayad, and we mm-hmm. don't find it that great of a burden. And Fitz says... I should not mind an old man's body's a body if the years had earned it for me, but I can't go on like this. And I feel like it's admirable for him to say that, but I feel like he wouldn't have that mindset if he wasn't, if he didn't have that palsy and, and the seizures right now. Yeah. I mean, at least he's alive, which is what I think John Quee is trying to get at of like, yeah. yo, at least you have a life to live be grateful and he's like nah i'm i'm as good as dead and she's over there like what are you trying to say about me and my brother <laughs> he says but i can't go on this on like this and she's like of course you can <laughs> healing's tedious it takes it takes time uh but beer comes in and they have uh, a very long conversation here which gets to the heart of a lot of um fitz's feelings at this moment about his own body and his mortality and Mm -hmm. his place now in life. Fitz lets out all of his pent up anger and his rage pretty much at Beric and blows up and like, why can't you heal me? Yeah. You have healed so many people, like so many animals and all sorts of beasts and all like a bunch of people and stuff. Why can't you heal me? And Beric just kind of has to take that and says like, you're not a dog. It's simpler with a beast. I can take drastic measures because if they die, I can say at least they're not in pain. It was just a dog. Yeah. But I can't do that with you. Besides, I don't even know what's wrong with you. Well, I do want to point out he starts that that little like why he can't do it with you're not a dog fits. And then he ends it with you're not a beast. And I almost feel like that's him trying to reassure himself still about the wit. That's that could be true of like, you're not a beast. And yeah. like, maybe he's scared in this because Fitz does start with just animals of like you heal animals all the time. And so I wonder if that's a little bit of 
Burek being scared that like trying to disassociate the two of them. Uh-huh, like you aren't an animal, though. Remember, you're not going to go into no. a dog right now. And so I think I just found that like a little bit interesting that even in the midst of this breakdown, he's still like no wit for you. <laughs> and then Fitz brings up like the guards that Burek has healed. So mm-hmm. we get some examples that Burek is a pretty good healer right here. And people do go to him for things that the surgeons and the buckkeep healers will not attempt. Uh-huh. Um, Birik will do that for them because they know the risks. They right. know what they're attempting. And Birik knows how to heal those things, like, you know, removing an arrow or, you know, removing an infection. Mm-hmm. And, like, he knows what the cause is, even. Yeah. Whereas there's no way to know what caused this in fits because he was poisoned twice beat up and almost drowned so which part of that is the damage and it's really hard to heal something that you don't know what it what the damage is coming from with yeah and this is one of the the sentences here that like summary mm-hmm. that i marked out like Birk wouldn't be this long-winded about <laughs> that's true was it the aftermath of the poison catcher can fed you when she thought you had to come to kill her brother. Is this the effects of the poisoned wine that Regal arranged for you? Or is it some beating you took afterward? Or from being near drowned? I don't know. I just feel like yeah. it's... <laughs> He's explaining every little thing. Yep. And Birk is is very frustrated here. And he, Fitz finally gets it through his head that, like, Birk feels like crap, too. Like, yeah. he's like, I, I can't heal Fitz. Fitz, I love Fitz, even though Fitz doesn't really like know that. Yeah. We know that Birik loves Fitz and he can't heal him. He has to watch Fitz be angry and lose right. his youth. And he's frustrated and has sympathy for him because underlying this whole thing, Birik has gone through similar things. Right. He was, what, 26 when he lost the full use of his leg? Yeah. And became, you know, uh, limping around all the time afterwards and started limping throughout all of this is kind of underlying like some of that advice that he has for Fitz is just like you have to give it time because we in the beginning of the book remember like his leg wouldn't heal for like months after it was still like having to be bandaged it wasn't scarring nothing Mm -hmm. was happening with it it was yeah really really bad yeah um so yeah, and, I'm sure Birk has gone through feelings yeah. like this. And it's a good reminder that even though Birk has a temper and is very much a person who demands that if you are able, you should be working. Um, he also acknowledges the importance of self-care. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but he truly he acknowledges that if you're sick, you should be in bed. And if you are hurt, you need time to rest and heal and you shouldn't be pushing yourself too hard because that just makes the healing process take longer. And I think that's a very interesting trait of his that always stands out whenever I am reminded of it because he easily could have been a person who rushed healing or didn't care. Um, But I think it speaks to his empathy that sometimes we don't get to see very much through Fitz's eyes. Yeah. His empathy and his, like, pragmatism, because he's like, well, if you're sick and you need healing, you need to rest, so then you can work more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and get fully healed, and so you don't have to take healed. more time yeah. off later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fitz 
is like, okay, yeah, it could take time, or I could be permanently damaged. Regal could have like, you know, done something to me when he was kicking me while I was already tied up and you know on the floor and couldn't move. And Burek mm-hmm. stood as if turned to ice. Then he sagged into the chair in the shadows. Defeat was in his voice. Yes, that is just as possible as the other. It's. It's, it's a rough son. thing for both of them to confront. Yeah. Obviously, more tough for Fitz to right. deal with because it's actually his body, but Bjork mm-hmm. has raised this kid. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure Bjork is blaming himself. Oh, yeah. Because he was literally there. He raised and- Fitz, and Fitz would do the same in his situation. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But, I mean, he was there with Fitz and couldn't protect him. Yeah. And is this because of the drowning? And if it is, does that make it more of Burek's fault? Because he got taken by surprise so easily. Um, he couldn't even stand up and fight for Fitz, which is not at all how I feel. But that's probably how Burek is feeling. And of course, Fitz isn't catching that at all. Um, he doesn't probably even think about the fact that Burek. No, no, he's 15. Yeah. <laughs> Burek blames himself for this. And Burek wants Fitz to heal just as much as Fitz wants him to heal. He wants him to be everything he can be because it's chivalry's boy. Yeah. He wants him to be perfect and grown up. And mm-hmm. and with this, uh, Burek, you know, admitting defeat, it really makes Fitz stop and realize he says, I did not recall Burek had complained at all of his head injury that he had to just recover from. And it's true. Burek doesn't ever complain. No. I mean, he complains about fits and how his attitude is, but he, <laughs> he doesn't so complain. Do yeah, true. But he doesn't ever complain about like unjustness to himself or um, his own, you know, ills. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And then Fitz asks Burek, what do we do then? And, or what do I do? And Burek's like, well, you have to rest. Is that so terrible? And Fitz is still stuck on, what if I don't get better? Yeah. And this this part really makes me remember Burek's game leg as well. Mm-hmm. Says, His answer was slow in coming. Live with it. Many folk have to live with worse. Most of the time, you're fine. You're not blind. You're not paralyzed. You've your wits still. Stop defining yourself by what you can't do. Why don't you consider what you didn't lose? And I'm sure that was the litany that Birk was going through in his head. He, right. Even for, like, chivalry. Yeah. Like, losing any big part of his life. is like, okay, I lost the, use, the full use of my leg. Can't really run. I can't really go on hunts anymore or anything like that mm-hmm. i can't soldier but i can't think about that i should be like oh i i can still do the stable job that i love i can still right. walk around i can still you know do yeah. everything i need to and then with chivalry i can't follow him i can't be with mm-hmm. him but i can still raise his boy i'm still here doing what i love mm-hmm. that sort of thing i'm sure has gone through Birik's head multiple times yeah, it's really sad, but also a good way to look at it. I don't love the like other people have it worse 
line of thinking. I just personally don't like doing that because that kind of belittles your own pain. Yeah. Um, but it is important not to fixate on what's wrong with you or what's going wrong. Right. Um, and to focus on things that are, you know, that things that are good out of the situation, Definitely. And what you still have. But this makes Fitz mad. Oh yeah. Um, because he's not being very empathetic in this moment. So he's not thinking about Burek and what he's had to go through. He's only thinking about himself and what he's lost. So he starts yelling. Goes on a nice big rant here. About how he's useless. He's he worse latches he useless. latches on yeah, worse than useless. He latches on to the um the phrase what I didn't lose. Like when Burek said focus on what you didn't lose. Mm-hmm. And Fitz thinks he's lost pretty much everything that made him useful. Right. Well, he says in this rant, I'm just a bastard again, Burek. And someone once told me that a royal bastard is only kept alive alive so long as he is useful. And this part made me cry when I read it because I think it really shows what is actually the problem here. This is why he's actually upset because he thinks he's going to die like for sure. One hundred percent going to die now. There's no way he's going to be kept alive. He has nothing left because all he has given himself credit for are the ways he's useful to the king. And that's so incredibly sad yeah. that he can't value himself as a person outside of what he can give to the king. And I don't know. That just breaks my heart. And um, Beer kind of sits quietly, takes the whole tirade and then says, so... Are you saying we don't go back to Buckkeep? They kind of rehash this conversation. Again, it, it covers the same parts mm-hmm. it, that was in the last book when they had a conversation about this whole thing. Right. Um, about leaving together and then about the earring. We, we've spoken on it before, so I'll kind of breeze past this a little yeah. bit unless you want to dive in on anything closely. But uh, Fitz is kind of taken aback like, we? <laughs> and Birik's like, yep, I follow... I follow um, the man who has the earring because I pledged my to give my life to the man who wore that before you, and you're his son, so yeah, I'm going to follow you. So do you think, this is a question I had when reading this, because he is talking about the earring and like, oh, now you're wearing the earring, so I have to follow you. Do you think this is an excuse he's giving to Fitz because of just admitting that like, you're my son and I'm going to make sure you're okay isn't? something he's capable of saying out loud or do you think he really ascribes that much to an earring or is it a promise he made chivalry um he never really he he has latched on more so after he saw the earring or it was pointed out to him to begin with so i think there is a lot of meaning ascribed to it because i mean it was his grandmother's slave freedom earring yeah and he gave that to chivalry who he he loves either in a platonic or romantic way right. depending on how you read it so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of feelings and oaths like locked into that as a gift yeah so i feel like he does have a lot of um meaning ascribed to that earring mm-hmm. but also i can definitely see 
him just placing it on the earring when he can't express it himself. Yeah. So I think it's a little mixture. Okay. I was also wondering if maybe like patients knew the significance of the earring and just pretended like she was searching for the right one. And because she knew Burek was going along and wanted to make sure Fitz was safe, you know, and so in like some way she knew something about it and maybe she didn't, maybe it was all just luck, but um, I'd like to give patients more, uh, <laughs> more agency than luck. Yeah. I, th- I don't know. I think it, it's hard to tell because, like, it seems like she just named him Tom out of nowhere, but it mm-hmm. was based on letters. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't really give any indication that she knows what the earring is besides... Um, something his father wore. Yeah, this is something that your father had. Of course it would be this one. So, like, if there's if there's any hints in the future books, let us know. Yeah. I would love to, you know, see maybe she knew the meaning of it to Birik or something, but... I don't remember anything like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know either. I think she just had like a box of earrings and then she kept that one because it was chivalries. Yeah. And she wanted to keep it. That's And fair. then tried a bunch of her earrings first and then like, oh, this one looks better. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, so after this, um, this acknowledgement of I go where you go because of the earring, fits. <laughs> the first thing he does is try to take the earring off. Um, which I kind of found funny, you know, like, oh, I ha- you have my loyalty, sir. And then he's like, I don't want it. <laughs> like, first chance he gets, gonna get rid of it. Um, and Bjork tells him not to do that. And this kind of leads Fitz into viewing Bjork as a man instead of as his father figure, um, which is the first time he's ever done this. And... I think it's interesting that this is the first time he's ever thought of Burek outside of the realm of, like, my caretaker. Yeah. He was not so big as he once seemed to me. If I kept on growing, I would probably be taller than he before another year was out. Nor was he massively muscled, but instead had a compactness to him that was a readiness of both muscle and mind. It was not his size that had made him both feared and respected at Buckkeep, but his black temper and his tenacity. Once, when I was very young, I had asked him if he had ever lost a fight. He had just subdued a willful young stallion and was in the stall with him, calming him. Burek had grinned, teeth showing white as a wolf's. The sweat had stood out in droplets on his forehead and was running down his cheeks into his dark beard. He spoke to me over the side of of the stall. Lost a fight? he'd asked, still out of breath. The fight isn't over until you win it, Fitz. That's all you have to remember. No matter what the other man thinks, or the horse. I love the line, the fight isn't over until you win it, Fitz. I just, it does, like, that's makes sense in who Burek is, that yeah. he's a, a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that these words of wisdom are coming to Fitz in this time of uncertainty. I think we mentioned it at the beginning of the last book when Birik was first described, but I always forget, even on the rereads here, that Birik isn't that big of a guy. Nah. Like, he's... He's like... He's average, pretty much. But he's not, like, the, big. the fighter guy in Mulan. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> the 
one with the like permanently black eye. He's not he's not that wide or anything. That's how I picture him though. That's like, how you picture him? Yeah. He's like, like super short but super wide and stocky. Buff? Yeah. He's a, they say he's not like super muscled though. Yeah. But you know. I don't <laughs> That's how know. you picture him. <laughs> I, I mean a cuter him version like, of that, but I always pictured him as like a big guy compared to him like maybe yeah. a foot taller and like not fat or anything because no. he's an active guy but like wide and like well built no he's chunky no he's just he's <laughs> i don't know it, it always surprises me whenever i read like and i would be taller than him soon or whatever yeah. I'm like no it's Beric. <laughs> he's always big it's the same feeling that you have with like your parents yeah all of a fair. sudden you're taller than them and you're like what uh, can't relate. <laughs> well, the, all of a sudden I'm taller than my parents yeah. and I'm like, what? <laughs> I am the shortest person in my family, um, including all four of my younger siblings. So, And I am the tallest in my immediate family. I have some cousins that are taller than me. No, I'm, I don't think anybody is shorter than me really in my family. Your youngest brother is same he's height as you? He's 11, yeah. and we're the same height. So I think I think it's safe to say he's going to outgrow me. <laughs> Maybe. Start feeding him coffee. I don't know. Um, I don't think your parents would like that. So, um, Burek and Fitz are having, uh, like, a little moment here, and Fitz finally realizes, like, okay, Burek is actually another human being with ambitions and mm-hmm. you know he's been through a lot and he asked what what do you think i should do he asked for his advice like uh, and he does it humbly which yes. does not come naturally neither the words <laughs> nor the humility came easily <laughs> and Birik's Birik thinks and is just like you need to heal mm-hmm. it's just like one thing at a time like you know just get healed up take the time it can't be forced. He glanced down at his own legs stretched toward the fire. Something not a smile twisted his lips. He knows it can't be forced. Maybe he tried to force it too much when he was healing his leg. Yeah. Maybe that's why he permanently limps. He didn't take the time to sit and rest. Mm-hmm. And that's why he kept breaking the, the yeah, wounds why, and the stitches. And yeah, why it wasn't scarring. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thought. Fitz pursues it. Do you think we should go back? And they have a conversation here. Um, and Beer kind of lays it all out. If they don't go back, Regal will think he won. And he'll make another go at the throne. He'll try to kill Verity again, probably. Yeah. So, like, what's what's the point? Um, Beer is sworn to the king. And that right now, that's King Shrewd. So, yeah. you know, that's important. But Verity is king in waiting. So we have to protect the royal family in general still. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's really interesting that even Burek is admitting that um, Regal is probably going to go after Verity. Like, there's a good chance that if we don't go back, that'll just embolden Regal. Yeah. Which I think it's interesting because this feels like the only person who acknowledges Regal's an actual threat. Um, And maybe that's because this is supposed to be a recap, but also love that. Of course, Burek knows and is like, yeah, Regal's a piece of crap, so we better keep an eye out. <laughs> so Fitz thinks about this and he thinks about the people in his life that he owes loyalty to. He doesn't really say love and I don't want to say love because 
he doesn't think that of himself, but mm -hmm. these are the people that he likes spending time with and right. people who tolerate and like spending time with him. He thinks of uh, all the oaths that he swore to his king, thought of Prince Verity, Chade, Lady Patience and her maid Lacey, Fedrin and Hod, even Cook and Mistress Hasty. There were not so many folk that had cared for me, but that made them more significant, not less. I would miss all of them if I never went back to Buckkeep. But what leaped up in me like an ember rekindled was my memory of Molly, and somehow I found myself speaking of her to Beric and him just nodding as I spilled out the whole story. And this is another, you know, line in the previous chapter that you mm -hmm. had mentioned before. Right. Um, this is just more context. Yeah. And he speaks of what we went over in the last chapter, the last chapter 24, I think, so two episodes ago, about what Burek knows, that uh, her father died. Mm -hmm. um, debtors came and, and claimed the property and she had nowhere to go, so she went to some place with her family to live with her family. Yeah. And he says, know your heart before you do, Fitz. If you've nothing to offer her, let her go. Are you crippled? Only if you decide so. But if you're determined that you're a cripple now, then perhaps you've no right to go and seek her out. I don't think you'd want her pity. It's a poor substitute for love. And he leaves Fitz alone. And I want to just point out that this line, I don't think you want her pity. It's a poor substitute for love. For whatever reason, this sticks with Fitz. And now he equates pity with being the worst of the worst. And yeah. I really feel like after this, I see Fitz every chance he get going gets going. Oh, this is obviously pity. And I don't want pity from anybody. And so I think that's interesting that that's the takeaway he got. And yeah. not like if you decide that you're going to be this thing, you're going to fulfill your own prophecy. You didn't fill in the other half of that. Like yeah. you can decide that you are not. Yeah. And just go on with uh -huh. your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And nope. Instead, obviously, it's not love they're showing me. It's just pity. And there's nothing of love in pity. And ugh, oh, fits, of course. So he's very introspective about this conversation and asks, like, am I a cripple? Like, am I useless? Did I dread regal smirking over my trembling hands? Like, what, what is going to happen here? Like, what am I now? And then he kind of has a hopeful tinge to his thoughts. Yeah. Of So is Regal going to smirk over my trembling hands? Could I not smirk back at he who would never be king? A savage satisfaction welled up in me. Burek was right. I had not lost, but I could make sure Regal knew I had won. And this is like the most hopeful we see. Yeah. <laughs> see if it's... And, oh, it doesn't last very long. No, it doesn't, because then his thoughts turn to Molly. Mm -hmm. And it starts off, you know, happy. Like, if I beat Regal, can I not win Molly over as well? Mm -hmm. Jade took her away from me, but Beric said that uh, she left Buckheap Town, not wed, gone penniless to live with relatives. Shame upon him had Jade let her do so. What she, yeah, still yeah. doesn't understand, obviously, that it's, that's the family that she left with. Um, and then he thinks of her, you know, like, wow, I love her, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, I'm going to do this. And then he smiles. And then 
has another seizure. Yep. Got that. too worked up. Yep. He passes out again. Mm-hmm. And he wakes once again in bed. And he feels safe. He's laying peaceful and not thinking of anything. And Eric asks him if he's doing all right. And he has these thoughts now, like after that last seizure. Like, I would never be as I was once before. There was no place left for me in the world I had once inhabited. Birix had said, pity is a poor substitute for love. I wanted pity from none of them. Then he tells Birix that tomorrow you leave for Buckkeep. And he does not include himself in that statement and says, no, you're, you're going, I'm not. I've made my decision. Tomorrow you will go back to Buckkeep. There are people and animals waiting for you there. You're needed. It's your home and your world. But it's not mine. Not anymore. Birk asks about Molly, and he's like, no, she's taken care of one cripple already and spent her youth doing so, only to find that he left her a debtor. Shall I go back and seek her out like this? Shall I ask her to love me so I can be a burden to her like her father was? No. Alone or wed to another, she's better off now, as she is. And Birik is quiet for a while, and, um... <laughs> He's obviously angry. Ah, uh, yeah. And... Birik stood over me, black and lowering as a thundercloud. I knew how badly he wanted to shake me, how he longed to cuff the stubbornness from me, but he did not. Birik did not hit cripples. Which is such a wrong thought process. Right. And wrong feeling. Birk isn't going to hit anybody. We've already established well, that after he'll, first he'll chapter. Cuff and shake right, fits around if he doesn't see reason or whatever and like paying attention. <laughs> but he's not going to hit somebody who's having seizures and he doesn't know how to heal and he wants to heal up. So right. he comes back to the keep with him. Right. It's not because he doesn't hit cripples fits. <laughs> it's because he cares about you. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to hurt you anymore. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, Birk oh, is really grasping, trying, like, to use words instead of, uh, you know, walking away, which is big of him. Um, but he asks about the king, you know, well, what about the king? You're pledged to him. Um, are you not sworn as a king's man? <sighs> it's here. I do not forget. And I did I believe myself a man still, I would go back. But I am not, Birk. I am a liability. On the game board, I have become but one of those tokens that must be protected. A hostage for the taking, powerless to defend myself or anyone else. No, the last act I can make as a king's man is to remove myself before someone else does and injures my king in the doing. Which, you know, I think is kind of a product of Shade speak on, speaking on how shrewd acts and thinks all the time. Mm-hmm. And this might be somewhat of how Shrewd is thinking of it, because yeah. he kind of has to remove himself from, you know, his assassins and his pieces yeah. to maintain a balance. But, like, that's not thinking of anyone else besides the way that Shrewd thinks. Yeah. Verity yeah. would not let him do that. No. Or, like, he would protect him. Chade mm-hmm. would protect him. Birik would protect him. Yeah. Like, and that's not a burden on any of them, really. Or they would not think so. Right. I don't know. But now Fitz has gotten this pity thing into his head, so he yep. doesn't want any form of pity, which is, ugh, I 
and it is it's hard there's like a hard line between pity and like helping someone out of pity and helping someone out of love especially when something so tragic happens um but i think making yourself this pitiable creature the way fitz makes himself really forces anything that people do into a lens of it's just pity right regardless of the intention behind it Birik says we'll talk tomorrow and Fizz is like no my heart is firm I'll just talk to you to say farewell and then you're going pretty much um and it just has to keep twisting the knife in yeah he can't just leave well enough alone like reaches up to touch the earring and um Birik's like if you stay then so must I there was a fierceness in his low voice that isn't how it works, I told him. Once, my father told you to stay behind and raise a bastard for him. Now I tell you to leave, to go to serve a king who still needs you. Fitz chivalry, I don't... Please, I don't know what he heard in my voice, only that he was suddenly still. I am so tired, so damnably tired. The only thing I know is that I can't live up to what everyone else thinks I should do. I just can't do it. Everyone else's plans, everyone else's goals, never mind. I tried, but I need to rest now, alone. And I think, you know, I, I want to comment first on that I think this is the first time that Birik says his full name. Mm-hmm. It's chivalry. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, he fits his evoking that presence, like... By this earring, yeah. By like you telling me that you're following me and listening to me, you're going and I'm staying. Mm-hmm. Like you said, driving in that knife of, I'm gonna make you leave from your duty again. Yeah, and it's just also mean. Yeah. To about himself and to Burek, of like. I'm just a bastard that you're raising because my dad told you to. Um, So, and he's dead. So go serve the king that still needs you. Like, why are you still serving this guy who's dead and gave you his kid because he didn't want to deal with it? Like, oh, that's mean to both of them. And I hate it. The paragraph that I kind of read, and I skipped a couple lines in there, but... um where he's talking about how he's tired of everyone else's plans and goals that that mm-hmm. is a reoccurring theme through the rest of the series. Yeah. This is the first book and he's fed up with everything. Yeah. Poor Fitz. He's only 15. He's only 15. He's got a good 45 years left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he uh He's fed up with all the plans. He's, no matter what I ought to do, no matter what I am pledged to, there isn't enough of me left to keep my word. Maybe that's not right, but that's how it is. And Beric and Jonquee just kind of look at him and leave. Yeah. And he's sitting alone. He's trying to relax now. He's, he's, Felt dizzy with the decision that he had made. He wasn't going to go back to Buckkeep. He had no idea what he's going to do in the future. He just kind of made this decision. And now there was room to set out anew what pieces I still had of the broken bits of his life. Plot a new strategy for living. 
Slowly, I realized I had no doubts. Regrets warred with relief, but I had no doubts. Somehow it was much more bearable to move forward into a life where no one would recall who I had once been, a life not pledged to someone else's will, not even my king's. It was done. I lay back in my bed, and for the first time in weeks, I relaxed completely. Farewell, I thought wearily. I would have liked to wish them all farewell to stand one last time before my king and see his brief nod that I had done well. I am sorry, my king, I muttered. I stared into the dancing flames in the hearth until sleep claimed me. It's good to see him resolute and feeling good about his future, mm-hmm. if for the wrong reasons at the moment. Right. And again, those are feelings that he takes with him to the end of this trilogy to be alone in the woods, in his cabin, not being roped back in. The feelings that he takes, you know, after the Tawny Man trilogy when he wants to just retire and sit down with Molly. Mm-hmm. Even though he does maintain correspondence there, he's okay with uh, that distance. Yeah. I do want to draw attention to a couple phrases in here. One, I relaxed completely. Two, stared into the dancing flames of the hearth. Mm-hmm. And um, how he, he's wishing that he could have stand in front of his king once again because he's scaling now. Yep. For the first time in weeks. In the previous book, at the end, it says that he could kind of sense Verity was trying to reach him with the skill a couple times. Mm-hmm. And like he finally made contact once they left the Mountain right. Kingdom and everything like that. They we were able to talk. But this is before they're leaving the Mountain Kingdom when he's finally, right when they're about to leave. Right. When he finally relaxed. He's finally able to let his guards down. Mm-hmm. He does what... Uh, Verity said Solicity told him to do, stare into the fire, let yourself go. Mm -hmm. Being open is just not being closed off. Yeah. Just relaxing. And he drifts off into sleep, and that picks up in the next chapter. Yeah. And, I mean, this kind of um, goes into kind of what we started this chapter off with of just because you keep the knowledge off of paper for people to read and learn doesn't mean that those people are never going to learn it on their own because this is a skill you're just innately born with. Right. Um, And I think that's an interesting ending. I mean, granted, technically we don't know for sure that he's going to be skilling next chapter. Um, If if this were our first time through. (laughs) Well. Um, But (laughs) it's not, so. Um, But also, I want to comment how subtly we change from old fits in... His study, thinking about what right he has to write down and like thinking about all the people in his life that loved him at one point and then go into Mountain Kingdom fits. Full on conversations and Uh present tense in his. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a really subtle switch that's done so beautifully. And I just wanted to point that out and say how cool it is. It's so interesting. And also... Just another note about how well written uh, (laughs) this book is. Um, I wanted to point out that we also, it's really interesting to take ending this chapter with, I'm never going back to Buckkeep. I'm happy about it. I don't want to. I have zero doubts about this decision. Yep. 
when we ended last book knowing that he's going to go back. So it's a really interesting way to like open up and like give us more reason as or give us more context as to what was happening um, before Fitz came back so that we know how important it is that Fitz is coming home. Uh, and I just I think that's really a really interesting way to do that. Because I it I'm sure it does answer some readers questions of, well, why wouldn't Fitz just not go home? Right. Like after everything that happened, why wouldn't he just stay? And we're about to get that reasoning. And I think that's just a really good way to address questions that people probably definitely have when reading this the first time through. Yeah. Yeah. So. He's um, he's all out of sorts in both the, um, you know, 30 year old fits and 15 year old fits. Yeah. Not doing well, but he's looking forward to his new life away from Buckkeep for the moment. Yeah. For, you know, all of two hours or whatever. (laughs) So is this a, is Fitz happy? I wouldn't say so, no. That's fair. I was going to say maybe because he finally gets his own life, but. Yeah, I I would say no because um, his body, his whole health, he's just not feeling it. And the only reason he's okay with leaving Bucky behind is because he doesn't want the pity of the people he knows. True. Silly of me to think we would... (laughs) (laughs) Start off on a good foot here, on a good note. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us um, for book two in Realm of the Elderlings by Robin Hobb. (laughs) We're really excited to continue this and um, yeah, if you have anything... Glad to be back. Yeah, glad to be back. (laughs) you have anything to say to us, yell at us, you know, theories that you want to discuss, uh, thoughts on what Fitz is feeling. Pity to send our way. Pity to send our way. <laughs> uh, please reach out to us, isfitshappy at gmail.com or isfitshappy on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the things you guys have shared with us. Um, Yeah, and I think we'll start with uh, the Facebook messages that we've gotten. Um, A while back, um, Alex sent us a message that uh, that they just found out our podcast existed and they're trying to catch up. Um, So thank you for listening to us, first of all. Uh And I know it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of hours that we've already gone through. Yeah. So I hope you can catch up in the next 14 books or whatever we go through. So. <laughs> yeah. And even if you don't catch up, it's okay. Yeah. But, I have a lot of backlog. I yeah. like binging stuff. I love so. that. Um, also, we had a uh, comment from Benjamin on one of our posts, uh, basically saying that he likes to imagine that the realm has... 11 months or excuse me 10 months in the year instead of 12 just so there's a little bit more wiggle room in the timelines yeah which i had never really thought of before and i don't know if there's any concrete calendar yeah. in this that's a good point we already know that they don't have like solid years there's the one mention of like the year of the lord <laughs> the year of our lord oh yeah uh, the, yeah shrewd whatever the 17 years after shrewd came to power or whatever uh-huh. yeah and I know there's like, yeah, there's no mention of like solid actual calendar years or anything. So it's. I wish we could get like actual calendars and dates so that we could like chart the yeah. uh, 
you know, astrology signs of every character <laughs> just to see. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it would be really different. interesting to get any sort of solid, like, this is this year, and we yeah. know it's this year. Um, <laughs> but I feel like if I was writing a series, I would not want to do that as yeah, well, no. because... That's way too easy to, to mess consistent. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you ever, like, add something later on, then you're really confined by, uh-oh, what year did I say this happened in? And Right. And we also got an email, I'll go move on to those, um, from two different people about similar things. Um, I'll take the first topic here, one from uh, a different Alex, I'm assuming, and (laughs) um, one from Irene. And the common topic there is that one, Alex's friend thought this, and Irene thought this, that chivalry cheated on patience. Yes to um conceive fits right and we were always under the assumption that no she did not yes we didn't have any concrete evidence last time we talked about this we just had feelings yes thoughts and feelings (laughs) but uh i've looked up a little bit of what was going on with it if i can find it in my nook where i have it bookmarked somewhere um it says that um, yeah, in chapter three of this book, so in like, you know, three episodes from now, we're going to come across the passage where Fitz runs into Molly again. Um, and that right before that meeting is him talking to Lady Patience. Mm-hmm. And there's a passage there that says, My father's wife, once horrified to discover that he had sired a bastard before they were wed, had gone from abhorring me to aggressively bettering me. So they could have been together. Yeah. Um, they could have been courting. They could have been courting, but it was before they were married. Married. So there's a pretty good chance that they weren't. I also remember in my mind, I didn't find this quote. Um, I didn't look beyond finding that one in particular. I remember in my head, Lady Patience saying something about like, I couldn't forgive you to begin with. Because even though like chivalry had you before he had met me, yeah, something like that. So I'm almost 100. Per- well, I am 100 percent positive Fitz was not conceived while they were married, mm-hmm. and almost 100 percent positive it was before they knew each other. Yeah. So potentially cheating, but most likely not cheating. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least not while they were married. Yeah, exactly. So that should put anyone at ease who was nervous. And the second half of Irene's email is um, mostly about the first book as a whole. We were talking about like our finale chapter or finale episode of what our favorite parts were and things. And she mentioned that hers was chapter six when we talked about how Fitz and Molly both received their true names from Mm -hmm. their mother within a few pages. Yeah. Kept it from his mom in the market and nosegay, uh, Molly nosegay from the tablet. Yeah. Um, and I want to say, like, I didn't think about that before the reread that we're doing right now. Yeah. Before this podcast, which it was awesome to, like, read through and notice and, mm-hmm. like, recognize. It was like, <laughs> wow. So I love learning new things like that, too. Yeah. It's been really interesting to pick up little details. Yeah, definitely. 
and how she loves Fitz because he's a hero, but not like the classic fantasy hero right. that, you know, wins everything through <laughs> amazing skills that nobody else has, but he makes human decisions and they're mm-hmm. usually wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think her direct quote is that he always takes the wrong one. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fitz is flawed. And I think that's what makes a lot of this really good character writing is because mm-hmm. He is flawed. He makes decisions like a human, and yeah, he's not perfect, and he lives with the actual consequences. Yeah, it's not often that we see a healing process and like PTSD and things mm-hmm. like that from a main protagonist. Right. Yeah. Usually, we see like maybe a negative side effect from a action, but it's quickly, re- uh, you know, recovered because something else pops up that they can easily win, and yeah. overall, they're good. So. Even or there's like magic healing that like has no side effects because even the magic healing down the line, they overdo it because they're not trained enough and it takes a toll from Fitz's body. And there's a bunch of things like that that are really interesting and Mm -hmm. developments really cool to see actual humans interact in a book. (laughs) Yes. Makes them more lovable. So now we'll move on to Instagram. We had Arlie... Ooh, and rain message us. <laughs> I'm so sorry um, <laughs> uh, to let us know that um, they were excited to see that we were doing a read through and, you know, just saying how um, Fitz is the best character and that uh, there's a lot of love or fits. Yeah. Um, but so. also props to us for going through a, with a reread. Yes. <laughs> because these books are emotionally draining yes they are and they're so hard i mean especially knowing what's coming it's way worse now that i know how the series ends because <laughs> i'm on like my third or fourth time fourth time through i think so it's so. like oh no like maybe fifth oh geez i don't know <laughs> hard to keep track oh geez oh geez um yeah um, yeah, these these books like they kick you in the gut. Yeah, they, and they kick you when they're down, just like Fitz. Yeah, for real, we get to be the Fitz in this situation. Yeah, but we also learned from Amber, Ombre. Ooh, I don't know. I'm so sorry. I always say Amber. I know. I know. I'm. It might be Ombre or Ambre. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but they were letting us know a little fun fact. Um, that being touched by the rain wilds is a trait that follows multifactorial pattern of inheritance. Which is a fun little genetic fact yeah, for us all. Because they're studying and just kind of like noticed it and they always yeah. have it on their mind. Yeah, which, <laughs> what a fun little science fact to bring in. Yeah. We can, we can all talk we about. We know something now. Yeah. <laughs> we can all learn a little bit today. <laughs> the more you know. Um, thank you everybody who has reached out. Um, it's it's always fun to learn a little bit and, uh, you know, know we're not alone in being, you know, emotionally kicked all the time by mm-hmm. these books. Yes. And to know that, you know, Fitz is wonderful because he's flawed and human. Yes. So. It is always nice to hear from you guys. Yeah. Um, also, just real quick note. Um, if you haven't seen our posts on social media about this, no worries. Um, I'm going to remind you. <laughs> there is a Facebook page if you have Facebook. Um, that you can like and follow that is called Realm of the Elder Memes. So if you love our memes on Instagram, um, you, you can should... see some better ones. Yeah, way better <laughs> ones. They're so funny. Um, they are spoiler, which 
if you're listening to our podcast, you probably don't mind. Um, and they're not necessarily PG, um, <laughs> but that's, you know, they're very funny. I'm a big fan of the page. And so I highly recommend um, you also like it if you want to see more memes. Yeah. Can always use more laughs in our lives. So. Oh, yeah. Especially with a book this serious. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. See you next time. See ya. See ya.